Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. everybody (laughs) happy new year happy new year and um welcome to episode 50 Mm -hmm. did you even realize we had done 50 episodes until now no i have not (laughs) it's it's been a whirlwind that's for sure it's hard to believe that we're on our 50th sometimes i feel like we're still on like our 10th or something i know (laughs) (laughs) i still have stories that's the craziest that is the crazy thing um so yeah, it's the new year. It is mm-hmm. January 3rd for us. So it is very much the new year. Although I think this episode comes out on the 9th. Uh, but how was all of your holiday travels? It was good. Uh, leaving Key West, ironically, was a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> but, but out of all the flights, that's not the one I thought was going to be the challenge. Yeah. Um, so that blizzard was coming through the Midwest, like the week we were traveling to the Midwest. Yeah. And um, yeah, so we were originally going to fly on Thursday, which was like pretty much like the day that it was going to be really bad. Mm-hmm. And so my boyfriend rebooked our flights. He moved them to Wednesday. And so I was like, cool, cool, cool. Get ahead of the storm. I like that. And so we leave Wednesday, 7 a.m. from Key West. We're up at like 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. and leave the house by like 5 because it's like a 45-minute drive down there. And, you know, Key West is small. So it's like small security. You can get there with an hour before your flight and you're fine. Right, right. Um, And, yeah, on the drive down there, he was looking at his email and it said that they had rebooked his flight. And we were like what the fuck like it's not like there's not even any bad weather down here and it was it's not a direct flight and like the snowstorm wasn't going to be happening until the afternoon and we were going to be in iowa by like 2 p.m so like we were going to be getting in like right when the weather was supposed to be coming in yeah and so yeah they rebooked our flight for like 5 p.m out of key west so like a whole like eight hours (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I mean, long story short, we got there on Wednesday, but it was just like a lot shittier because of the weather and we had to fly into a different airport and it was just a mess, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been. And the reason, so the stupid thing was they, I don't know why they rebooked our flights. Maybe there was something wrong with the plane. I have no idea, but, Mm -hmm. um, they 
we our original route was Key West to Dallas, Dallas to Moline. Mm-hmm. And then we were going to get a rental car and drive like an hour and a half to Dubuque. And when they rebooked our flights, it was Wednesday we were leaving from Key West to Dallas. But then we couldn't leave Dallas until Thursday oh, because no. they couldn't put us on a flight because there was one seat left on the plane that was going from Dallas to Moline. And we were like booked as a couple, which I just it's just dumb. And so mm-hmm. then we were at we were at the ticket counter at like seven in the morning asking like all of the options, like was there routes through Charlotte or like Atlanta? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> we're like, how can we get there? And like there was one flight left that was like Key West to Dal or what was it? It was like Key West to Charlotte and then Charlotte to Cedar Rapids. And then we drove from Cedar Rapids. Oh to my Dubuque. gosh. How yeah. long of a drive was that? It was like an hour and a half still. Okay. It was, it was like two hours maybe most, but we landed at like 10 or 11 p.m. Mm-hmm. And there was already a few inches of snow on the ground and it was actively snowing when we yeah. landed. <laughs> and <laughs> like, you know, rental, we had to get the rental car still. And I was like, dear God, hopefully this thing starts because it's been sitting outside in the no cold. Kidding. Yeah. And like, yeah. So then driving that distance too like there was not a lot of people on the road which was good but like the roads weren't even really plowed all that much Mm -hmm. so we were driving like well under the speed limit so it took us much longer to get home I don't think we got to his parents house until it was like 12 30 1 a.m kind of thing like it was just a very yeah long day of traveling that's stressful (laughs) yeah so after they rebooked our flights like in the morning at Key West we just came back home we got some coffee on the way back home and we just like hung out, took a nap. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I guess we'll just be here, hang out with the dog a little bit more before we leave him for a week. So, yeah, that's all we did. And then it was fine. And then the way back was fine, too, except the way back, I think, like, there was just a lot of people. And I think yeah. it was because of all the, the Southwest mess mm-hmm. that was happening. Like, a lot of overheard conversations on our flights were about like people rebooking from being kicked off of southwest right yeah it's like yeah we had a lot of people uh at the united gates or ticketing yeah when we came or when we went to get on our flight but i don't know if they were all coming from southwest or not but that's why i always fly i always fly united (laughs) yeah (laughs) we fly american or i fly delta but he flies American. So, mm-hmm. but yeah. And okay, you're in Texas. So, mm-hmm. can I ask your thoughts of the Dallas airport? Do you have you ever flown through there? Yeah. What do you think of it? I, it's big. Um, it's huge. Like the, the tram that mm-hmm. takes you to like the gates and stuff. Yeah. Skylink. Like, yeah. If you don't have like two hours of time in between flights, I feel like you're missing that shit. Yeah, like takes, I don't know. It takes done, a while. I've definitely done it in an hour and been okay. But yeah, if you have less than an hour, it is risky because there's like five terminals and none of them are really connected. So you have to get on the, the Sky Tram, which takes you basically above the entire airport. And then you can get off at like stations and stuff. But yeah, it's it's huge. 
I yeah. don't think it's the worst airport though. Atlanta's pretty bad. I don't mind opinion. Atlanta. I yeah. I do not like Dallas. I've never I think I've only flown through Dallas twice and I am not a fan. I I just the Skylink thing, I'm not a fan about that. <laughs> I, but I'm not a fan about like those things in general anyway. But yeah. like so we we came out of like from when we flew back from Iowa, we came through Dallas and our plane like deboarded or whatever at the one of the A gates. Mm-hmm. And then our our next flight was at a C gate. And like there's like two stops per letter, mm-hmm. it seems like. And so I was like, dear God, this is gonna take forever. And like those things just get so packed. There's no like people limit on those things. I was like, this is not safe. People like are not <laughs> holding on to things. Everyone is like smushed in here like sardines. I was like, I am very uncomfy right now. And yeah. then like we get to the sea gates, right? And we like get some food, settle down. My boyfriend looks at his phone and they fucking changed our gate back to A. Oh my And God. we're like, are you fucking like I was like, we just got here (laughs) but it took us like an hour to get here it felt like and i was like dear god and we had like a three hour layover so i was like okay well i guess we're just gonna have to go back there and we got up to leave to go like back on the thing and then he looks at his phone and while we're walking it switches back to seagates and i was like this is frustrating i was like i swear if we miss our flight because our flight because they keep changing our gate back and forth i was like how much time do they even give you but between like changing your gate because it takes some time to get back on like the, the sky like like what the hell is happening here and just then trying to make to- sure you get your exercise in well and then we get to key west and our bags didn't make it oh my god and i was like are you kidding me <laughs> at least it happened when we were back home and in Iowa, it was like negative 40 degrees. That's true. But like, it came in on the flight after ours. So it came in like on my parents' flight. And thankfully, we had to be down there anyway. So I was like, I'll just get our bags when we come back down. But like, what the fuck, Dallas? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that was just a shit show. It was like, you couldn't yeah. figure out the gate. And then like, our bags didn't make it. Like, like we had a three hour layover and our bags still didn't make it. Like, how yeah, that's that happened. It's because they kept switching the gates. <laughs> that's what I figured. I was like, is it because they kept switching the gates and these people were just driving all across the airport back and forth? Yeah, that is the one thing. Like, I bitch a lot about having to drive two hours to get to the airport, but Houston is a hub. So I can just hop on a plane and go to any major airport without, like, you know, an issue. If I'm going to a small airport, yeah, I'm going to have a layover, but like, like, for example, we can get nonstop flights from, like, Houston to Dulles, like, no problem. Yeah. So. We can get nonstop flights, I think, occasionally from Key West right. to Dulles, because I've done that before, which is very nice, because I hate layovers. I just hate. Yeah. I, I hate all that mess. Yeah. But. Speaking of Dulles, talk about one of the worst airports to get through. I hate Dulles. <laughs> I Yeah. I don't mind it, but maybe because I'm like used to it. Like I, I'm used I to it too. Their their security has gotten um, like a hundred times better. Yeah. Since, um, since we moved here, I will say that because it used to take forever to get through security. Yeah. And I hate. I also hate the people movers. I used to think oh, they yeah, were fun, but now I'm like, this is too claustrophobic. Just get me to the, the freaking terminal for the love yeah. of God, please. I'm, I'm right there with you. The oh. one airport 
the two airports, but they're pretty similar. I very much hate LAX. I just mm. think that airport is just very confusing and just does not make any sense to me. And then Miami is pretty much the same as LAX, like from like an architectural standpoint, like it's mm-hmm. built pretty much the same way. And when I went to Miami for the first time, I just like had like trauma. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> it's like LAX all over again. I was like, I need this shit so much. I'm not, I'm also not a big fan of Chicago O'Hare, but I feel like I've gone through it enough that I like am familiar enough with it. Yeah. I have I run say, through that airport a couple of times. Have get... you? Oh yeah. Oh, God. For I will sure. say I like Charlotte and I like, I like Denver because it smells like pine trees in their bathrooms. <laughs> And they have cup holders on their armrests at the seats. I was like, this is, this is nice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah. So uh, if you've had any travel troubles in the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, we're here with you. We totally understand. Um, I was lucky enough to avoid the storm by going on Tuesday, I think. So it was like two days before Again, I was going from the south to another place in the south, so that's helpful. yeah. <laughs> but for everyone traveling in the Midwest and like the rest of the country, holy shit! And God bless you if you live in Buffalo, because I've heard so many horror that's, stories coming out of there. Yeah, how bad is that? Um, like, I saw videos of people opening their doors, and it's just like snow. I would immediately feel claustrophobic. Oh yeah, yeah. If I opened my door and it was just snow, I would start having a panic attack. Well, and the storm was at that point, um, once it hit the Great Lakes, what they call a white hurricane. So it's a snowstorm that reaches hurricane level winds. And I think their winds were up to like a cat three hurricane. God. And so the houses up there were receiving damage like you would see in a hurricane, like roofs dripping off. Yeah. Things like that, while it's also freezing cold and snowing. God, that is my literal worst nightmare. Yeah. Weather-wise. Weather-wise. Yes. <laughs> I would hate that. Yeah. And there's like the people who did try to travel, which at first I was like, why are you on the road? They put like a driving ban out in Buffalo, yeah. I think. People died in their cars. People died in their cars because they got buried in snow yeah. in their yes. cars. God. It's just like, frightening. It's funny. I was on TikTok because I'm always on TikTok now. Yeah. And somebody made a post about they're frustrated that there's all these European people who are like, well, you just need to build your houses better and you need to build your infrastructure better to deal with this weather. I'm like, bitch, nobody in Europe has ever dealt with the kind of weather you see in North America. Are you yeah. kidding me? Get off yeah. your high horse. <laughs> like, I didn't know they were even saying things like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know how people are rude in general on the internet. And God. so it's like, yeah, I'd like to see like, I don't know, Copenhagen deal with a, a hurricane, a full on e- even a cat one, I feel like would bury that city. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. I don't wish it on anybody, but like don't Baby come at arms. us until you've actually dealt like tornadoes just happen out of nowhere. Yeah. And they can become giant and you don't know where they're going. So it's like <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I'm sorry, you just don't that just happens. What nope. happens down here? It's not the same. But yeah, that's crazy. I actually have a story in the works about a white hurricane 
that happened like in the 1800s, 1900s, something like that on the Great Lakes. Um, And it's, I mean, it's a lot. That's, that's a big storm. Yeah. No, it was awful. Yeah. Speaking of Buffalo, though, did you hear about one of the Buffalo Bills football players having a cardiac arrest episode on the football field last night? Oh, my gosh. This guy, that's, like, all I've been trying to keep up with today. Like, I, we, ever like, everybody watching that game saw a man die. Oh, he's he's dead. He's not dead. He's in critical condition. But, like, he got a tackle like he had a tackle happen to him mm-hmm. I, I don't know football language so first of all i'm sorry <laughs> he had a tackle happen to him um and like i don't i forget the right term for it. it's like coma i'm gonna have to google this again but like um he got a, had a tackle happen to him like in his like left shoulder mm-hmm. like this area pectoral and, like, muscle yeah and like they have you know pads and stuff but like pads can only do so much mm-hmm. um and so like he has this tackle he stands up for like probably literally a second and a half mm-hmm. then he just collapses oh my god and and like you know the um trainers run over like the medics run over and they're trying to like you know see what's wrong check in on him and so then like you know on espn or whatever they like cut to commercial when there's an injury just to like give them time they cut back there's like every still surrounding him and they're like oh god like you know this must be really bad like we'll cut to commercial like they cut back and forth so many times because they did not know what was going on and then after like the fourth or fifth time of cutting back like you hear him say like oh they're performing cpr on him like you know an ambulance is on coming in like you know all of the players are like forming a like you know a circle around him so like cameras can't see through like I'm imagining, like, like, I'm figuring that's why, like, everybody's forming a wall. They won't want the camera seeing what's happening right now, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the they made a statement um, th- today that he, ha- they were performing car- CPR on him for 10 minutes. Oh, my gosh. They, like, when he collapsed, he, they did not, ha- like, they couldn't find a heartbeat. And So he did essentially die. Die, yeah, for, like, oh 10 minutes. <laughs> and. <Ooh. laughs> Yeah, it's it's just chilling. And then, like, after he was taken away in the ambulance, so, like, what I learned is that when you use, like, a defibrillator, you have to have, like, a shockable heartbeat. So, like, they said that they performed CPR on him and then, like, used a defibrillator. And so then, like, so he was revived. Mm-hmm. He, they got a heartbeat from him and then they put him in the ambulance and then took him to the hospital. And now he's, like, in critical condition and, like, intubated and, oh like, gosh. pretty much, like, put to sleep kind of thing so that they could monitor him and do all these yeah. tests. Um, but so the, after all that happened, like, obviously that's very traumatic for all the football players and the coaches and everybody that just witnessed that happen. And so like the announcer said that the teams would have five minutes like of stretching or warming up to like get back in the game. And then (laughs) I was like five fucking minutes after they saw their teammate pretty much die. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, just warm up and get back in there. (laughs) Yeah. So long story short, the coaches and the players pretty much were like, we're not, we're not doing this. And so the game was just called. That was it. And it doesn't seem like they're going to reschedule the game anytime soon. Oh my gosh. And it's just like all over 
I, it's all over my social media just because that, that's like you know the keywords I was looking for and that's like uh-huh. what's trending on my stuff on my algorithm I guess but yeah like I'm still like in shock about it I went to bed last night like oh my god I watched a man die for yeah. like I was like on national television like and people at that game like saw somebody die yeah that's <laughs> like, like crazy when that happens because like I remember the first time I saw somebody die on television, it was 9-11. Yeah. And I was way too young for that shit. <laughs> I think we all collectively <laughs> Maybe that, that kind of fed into this hobby you have now. <laughs> well, that's funny because we're actually going to talk about one of the OG stories that triggers all of my weird obsession phobias and just like overall all of this oh wow i i you know so i originally wasn't gonna do this story until next this i well i guess this year 2023 yeah but um i had a different episode planned but then i was like it's episode 50 i gotta do something really intense yeah that's fair (laughs) so do you want to jump into it? Yes, we can jump into it. Let's jump into it. I will give the disclaimer that I do not have any conservation corner this time around because couldn't do it. Couldn't okay. get to it. So totally fine. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, <laughs> I mean, it's been a lot. There's been a lot of stuff going on. I think it's been the holidays. I like did not yeah. even have any time to check my email. I was like, I can't even yeah figure something out like i uh, accidentally forgot to submit an interim of report uh oh. whoops it's Whoopsies. Okay. I, re- I remedied it today cool. but, uh, <laughs> but i've been doing that and i've got two uh full-size like academic manuscripts that the revisions are due for uh next week basically end of next week um and I just barely started on the second one. So <laughs> nice. Oh, I don't know why this. And they're both like major revisions. And I'm just like, fuck my life right now. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, if it makes you feel any better, two of our uh, communications team members quit within the last month. So that Good. that uh, puts more on our plate that we already have a lot on. So mm-hmm. it's we'll great. What, yeah, we'll see what comes with that. Yeah, and my boss when my boss and I were talking about this, she was like, "There are less team members now than when I started like four or five years ago." Yeah, and I was like, "Really?" Because like our team's pretty small in the first place. Like mm-hmm. I was like, "Holy crap!" Yeah, I have those two manuscripts. I have a grad student coming down to like run all of the samples for the Yale project, so I'm going to do that over the next two days. And then I also, oh yeah, I have a. And I'm going to an AFS meeting in early February, and oh, I don't nice. have that presentation done yet either. So it's going to be AFS Norfolk. this year. Norfolk, nice. Yeah. Hey, maybe I'll just come back for old times' sake. Yeah, I'll probably <laughs> see your photo in the airport. So I know I heard they took it down. Oh I damn! Yeah, I heard it hasn't been up there in like a couple years. <laughs> That was a good time, though. I still have all those photos of everybody, like, standing next to it. You sent me one, too. Yep, yep. Thumbs uh, up. Yeah. <laughs> Haley was uh, locally famous at the Norfolk Airport for, like, a couple of years. because she. I was, was in also the- in the Lynn Haven Mall. Oh, were you really? Yeah. 
She did an ad for uh, ODU, right? Old yeah, Dominion. for the marine biology department. Mm-hmm. All right, they put me in waders, put me in waist deep water with an oyster basket behind me. Took a picture of me smiling and called it a day. Yep. <laughs> and every time I'd fly in, I'd be like, there's Haley. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Welcoming you back home. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, you know what? I don't blame you because I literally finished this story an hour before we recorded. Yeah. Which is rare for me. Well, do we want to get into the story, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's start doing that. Do we want do we want to talk about what the people are here for? <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, trouble. they don't need to hear about us ranting about our personal lives. Uh well, I'm gonna keep talking about my personal life because today we will be talking about the story where my obsession with survival stories may have all begun. Certainly my obsession with like cave stories began oh. here. <laughs> More caves. More caves. This is a story we watched unfold on international news in 2010. And no, it's not the Thai cave rescue, but it's definitely in that same vein of like, everybody was kind of paying attention to this story and kind of following along on what happened. So this story, however, did worm its way deep into my fear of claustrophobia, being buried alive, and just my general fear of caves and the deep places of the world. This story even got so deep into my psyche that at the time it was on the news, visions of its horrors would go on to enter my sleep paralysis. So let me break that whole sentence down. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So basically when this happened is like the summer before I went to college, we were staying with my aunt and uncle in, they, they lived down in Chesapeake. Um, for a little bit because we used to always go down there in the summers and when this story broke like I was watching it on the news with the rest of them and then when I would go to sleep at night I started having sleep paralysis again which is something that we've talked about before yeah I hate that I hate that so Um, much but part of it is like I start hallucinating so and things come and interact with me while I'm staying like laying there oh my god right so yeah. the footage of like this event, which involves uh, minors, um, basically like, like cave miners, not minors, youths. Yeah, not, <laughs> not underage <laughs> youths. To clarify, uh, like minors that dig in the dirt, kind of minors. Yeah. So when they finally found these guys, I saw that footage for the first time, and when I would go to sleep, lone starving dirt covered miners would visit me at night and basically stand in the doorway and ask for help and I would just lay there paralyzed. Jillian that's so crazy. (laughs) Yeah I know like I literally couldn't do anything but watch them enter the room and stare at me. Oh my gosh oh that gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah so I know it's probably just my overactive imagination and recollection of the news footage like feeding into my hallucinations but like clearly it stuck with me um and it made me not want to stay in that room anymore (laughs) yeah no I completely understand that uh yeah so today we're gonna talk about the San Jose mine disaster 
or the story of the 33 and there are 69 days trapped underground Ooh, yeah 69 69. days nice (laughs) (laughs) i knew knew you were gonna say (laughs) i was was contemplating making a joke about that or not and i was like do i do it i'll i'll do it i'll be the one yeah i i mean i knew it was gonna happen um but yeah so that's that's why this story has like really like suckered itself in my brain because like you have low-key trauma from it I do because they would visit me at night and be like, come help us. And I'm like, I'm I can't stuck. help you. I'm in I'm Virginia. It's like <laughs> You're paralyzed. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. Sleep paralysis. It's a good time. If any, if anybody has it, you know, you know what it's like. Mm-hmm. Um, the I've other reason I don't like that room anymore is because when I was really little, my aunt bought me a Furby but did not tell me that she bought me a Furby. Oh, she just put it up God. there, turned it on, let me walk into that room in the dark, and it started fucking talking to me, scared the shit out of me. I had a Furby when I was a kid too. I swear all of them were like possessed or something because I had a little, I had a little bookshelf that had like little cubby holes that were probably like I don't know, like the size of a Furby, mm-hmm. and like it was just on the opposite side of my bed and I remember one night I woke up because it was just like on yeah and I was like what the fuck it freaked me out yeah they're creepy so the Furby and the Chilean miners are the reasons I can't sleep in that fucking room anymore yeah that's very fair very get the vibes (laughs) yeah you're just this is too spooky for me can't do it yeah so all right let's jump into it The San Jose mine was owned by the San Esteban Primera Mining Company in the Atacama Desert of Chile, or Chile, sorry, about- It looks really pretty. It does. Your first Um, picture looks really pretty. It looks, it's very, like, stark, and they have these, like, really big, like, salt flats and, like, salt lakes, kind of like Salt Lake City, I guess, Mm -hmm. kind of similar landscape. Um, it's about 50 miles northwest of the town of Copiapo. This area of Chile is an isolated region and one of the driest uh, places on Earth. The Atacama Desert sits between the coastal range and the foothills of the Andes Mountains. And the area has been disputed over by Chile, Bolivia, and Peru due to its mineral resources, including sodium nitrate deposits that are used as fertilizer as well as copper. Hmm. So super rich in minerals. Even though it's a desert, the average summer temperature is only about 66 degrees Fahrenheit, which makes That's it nice. not, not as miserable as it could be, I guess. Yeah. Um, during the War of the Pacific from 1879 to 1883, Chile, with the help of Britain, gained ownership of most of the Atacama, including its mining industry. Mining in this region continues today, but due to the development of synthetic methods of fixing nitrogen, the market for fertilizer has been reduced. Copper mining, however, continues to this day, and the San Jose mine, which opened in 1889, was mining uh, for just that when the disaster struck. So, oh, wow. Setting our scene. Bum, bum, bum. 
Yeah, and I feel like you kind of set the scene when you said that it's like mineral rich too. Yes. So there's there's a lot of mining going on in this area. So at 2 p.m. on August 5th, 2010, a cave-in occurred at the San Jose mine after warnings of disturbances the day prior. Oh, no. The mine had been the site of earlier accidents, including an explosion in 2007 that killed three miners. And so it had been under scrutiny before. However, not much was done to make the mine safer when it was reauthorized for continued excavation by Chile's National Geology and Mining Service, or Servicio Nacional del Geología y Minería. Wow. That's a mouthful. (laughs) Um, What were the warning signs? Um, Basically... There were tremors, I guess. Oh, like ground shakes? Yes. So, gotcha. So, when the mine collapsed, 33 workers were trapped inside, including 32 Chileans and one Bolivian. Most were miners with a few subcontracted workers. The mine was approximately 2,625 feet deep. Uh, with miles upon miles of spiraling tunnels that delved deep into the earth, connected by ventilation shafts. So the danger of this collapse was very sudden and dire because it's a pretty deep mine. Oh, wow. So local emergency services attempted a rescue that night, but were able to unable to find survivors. The first rescue attempt began with retired miner Jose Vega, whose son Alex was working in the mine at the time of the collapse and therefore was buried somewhere in the earth. Um, He didn't know if his son was alive, but he led the team that drove into the mine's access tunnels anyway, and they just kept looking for survivors. Vega described the floor, ceiling, and walls as being horribly cracked, saying the truth was frightening, very frightening. Eventually, their path was blocked by a huge slab of giant rock, so Vega and the team tried to abseil or rappel down the ventilation shafts to try to see if they could find anyone. Um, They managed to find a ventilation shaft that went down beneath the collapse, but then a second disaster struck two days later before they could mount a rescue. So how long did it take for them to get rescued? You said 69 days? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So it was on August 7th when a second collapse occurred after the initial accident. And this was the big one. This blocked access to important ventilation shafts that could have served as potential escape routes for those still trapped in the mine. So, so they were like real trapped. Yeah. So the source of the collapse was a single block of stone as tall as a 45-story building. That's like some shit you see in a cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. It had broken off from the rest of the mountain and caused a chain reaction as the mountain above it began collapsing too. Oh my god, that's scary. It was twice the weight of the Empire State Building. Oh, wow. Yeah. Or 770,000 tons. So they're not moving it. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely, definitely not. 
There were ladders in the ventilation shafts that had been placed there in compliance with safety regulations to allow for escape from the mine. However, after the second collapsed, a manned rescue mission was out of the question. They would have to dig if they were to recover any of the miners alive or dead. So people like, quote unquote, topside, like knew there were people down there. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, at least there was that. Yes. And it wasn't just unknown. So I'm sure like what the rescue probably started happening like pretty much immediately then. Yeah. Yeah. Or the search and rescue, I guess you could say. For sure. Yeah, so it was at this point the Chilean government then ordered Caldelico, which was a state-owned mining company, to begin coordinating the rescue effort. So, like, everybody knew that this was happening. They just yeah. didn't know if they were alive or dead, basically. Yeah, so it definitely gave me, like, the Thai cave rescue vibes, for sure. Yeah, I'm getting similar vibes mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So at this point, no one knew if any of the men were still alive or where exactly they even would have been trapped. Because remember, this is huge. This mine is giant, right? Mm-hmm. So further issues arose due to the fact that they only had outdated maps of the complicated mine structure. So not helpful. Yeah, and I'm sorry, but I'm skipping ahead to the the diagram of the cave structure. And yes. holy crap. It's huge. Yes, I don't know if you saw my eyebrows furrow and look very confused yes. for a hot second, but that's why they looked like that because I was looking at the... Yeah, and thing. that diagram is like one of the best ones I, I found. Um, it really like fully describes everything that I'm about to tell you about like pictorially. So Yeah, and like this cave goes down, it doesn't go in. Yes. I think that's also like important to note. Yes. Because when I think cave, I think like you're going into something, not going down something. You know? Right. Well, and it's excavated. It's not, I don't think it was a natural cave or certainly uh, wasn't like that deep initially. Gotcha. So they dug, they dug all of that out, which is why it's so deep. So basically what they did is they sent out 30 probe drills that mm. would be drilled into the earth to detect noise or tapping from anyone still alive oh god Um, that's frightening to hear that but like also good to hear that right like just imagine hear tapping down there in the middle of like nothing (laughs) creepy (laughs) i know this is why this one creeps me out so much um so these probes are six inch wide drilled holes um the probes are targeted at three levels where the miners would have been able to survive at about 1,000 feet, 1,500 feet, and 2,300 feet. The men were not found at the first two levels, so probes were sent out to the lowest level at 2,300 feet, where there was a small refuge built um, within safety regulations. But all it was was a 15-foot-wide room with three days of food stored. Hmm. Um, Three days. Yes. They were down there for 69 yeah my god um so it is difficult and tricky to reach since the refuge is um half a mile underground yeah it looks hard to reach so on august 22nd one of the engineers on the probe thought they could hear tapping so they began pulling the drill to the surface Hmm. when when the probe was drawn to the surface there was a note 
attached to it, reading, Estamos bien en el refugio los 33, which means all Wait, let us- me guess. Let me guess. Okay. We're good. We're in uh-huh. the refuge. Uh-huh. And something about three. Yeah. Something with three. <laughs> so all of us, 33, are all right in the shelter. Ah, got it. Which, yes, basically. Yes. Yeah. Good I took Spanish. Good job. <laughs> I heard Trace. I didn't hear the Trenta part. Trenta yeah. y tres. <laughs> that was like amazing because they're literally just kind of throwing out these probes, hoping that they're going to hit somebody, like hit yeah. the area. And the fact that the miners were aware enough to be like, oh shit, that's a probe. That's Let's tap yeah. on it. Yeah, you know? it's good news. Yeah. So soon a video f- uh, feed. And a phone line was threaded through the small hole and confirmed that they were all there and relatively unharmed. But um, And through the phone line, the miners were able to call up to the rescue effort and were able to communicate in real time, which was great. It was a big day for the rescue effort, but the video footage received was eerie and shocking and, and an indicator of just what those 33 men had gone through through in the last 17 days the men looked like ghosts barely functioning and the starvation was very prevalent it was this footage that fueled my sleep paralysis hallucinations that summer oh (laughs) i'm sure stayed with me a long time um so you can see the photo that that's kind of what the footage looked like it's very fuzzy they look like yes hell I'm also going to Google this, but not on my laptop because this is my work laptop. I'm going to do it on my phone real quick. Yeah, the footage from that first, like, that first video feed, because I remember when they found the guys because yeah. it was in August and that was the video footage I was seeing. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> what is this? Like, and so those, they would visit me at night and... Ask me, me to help, help them. Me. Yeah. Of course, they were all speaking in English. So that's still so creepy. that's how you know it's not real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's creepy though. But yeah, my imagination really likes to mess with me. It's it's great. Um you got a very active one. I really do. It's bad. I have another sleep paralysis friend that's been hanging out in my room recently. I haven't actually seen him yet. He's woken me up a couple of times. What are you talking about, Jillian? That's creepy. I are see you things. <laughs> are you stressed? I am stressed. I'm always stressed. Because when I had sleep paralysis, it was when I was like super duper fucking stressed. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'm any more stressed than I normally am. But oh, okay. Yeah, it apparently runs in the family because my brother has experienced sleep paralysis recently as well. God, that's freaky. What's What's this new guy doing in your room? He's I don't know yet. Because I haven't actually really seen him yet. You just feel the presence. Yep. And it wakes you up like you just like gasp awake. Yeah. Well, one time um, I had gone to bed before Corey and he was up here. And so all the lights in the house were on except for in the room. But like it woke me up, made me get out of bed and run after the sleep paralysis was over and run out of the room and I'm just standing out in our living room with the full lights on and Marzi's like looking at me from out of the bedroom like mom what are you you doing doing? (laughs) oh no 
honestly, I'd rather have these guys come because they were not like that. It was creepy. It was scary, but it wasn't like malicious. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, know I don't mean. know. It's weird. I have a weird connection to this story. So there it is what it is. <laughs> Maybe that's why you're having sleep paralysis again, because you're thinking about all this stuff all over again. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. It just it, it happens some, from time to time. Sometimes it's just people like, like if I start a new job, it'll just be people I work with that'll come in and they'll try to get me to go do work. And I'm like, no, I'm sleeping. Oh my God. And so sometimes I'll sleep talk while I have sleep paralysis. It's a good time. Oh no, that sounds horrible. (laughs) So it's not always like bad things, you know what I mean? Like, or evil, I guess, or like scary, you know, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. It's an everyday mundane kind of scariness, you know. <laughs> I gotcha. All right. So, so in this picture, this guy, like the middle of this guy's face is white. Does he have like alopecia or whatever that's called? Or is that just like he's so dirty in the middle of his face? It's just like he tried to clean it. It's, you know, at first I thought it was the dirtiness, but I think it's just the graininess and like the lack of uh, resolution on that initial camera. Oh, that okay. made them look so horrifically like I don't know just covered in, in grime and and just I mean but you can tell that he's in really bad shape yeah he just and, looks tired yeah let's talk about what they dealt with in those 17 days while the rescuers had been trying to find men the miners were trapped underground for 17 days without any contact with the surface wondering if they would ever be found They dubbed the room they were trapped in the refuge on the first day of their ordeal. Crew supervisor Luis Urzua took off his helmet and announced to the 32 others. We are all equal now. There are no bosses and employees. Some miners saw this as an abdication of responsibility by Luis, but others saw it as a selfless act and an important factor that inspired their instinct to band together over the entire ordeal. So after the collapse, Urzua sent out search parties to look for access to the surface. um, And they had access to about a half mile of tunnels beyond that like 15 foot room. So they weren't like crammed in there. Gotcha. Um, But they soon found that the 45 story stone blocked any escape. Luis Urzua said that the stone, it was like a stone, or it was like the stone they put over Jesus's tomb. So they tried to communicate with the surface by setting small fires to try to send smoke signals through the smaller ventilation shafts, but it was clear that they were too deep to communicate with anyone on the surface. So that's within the first couple of days. Gotcha. So I guess they had to find like a, a potty corner. <laughs> that was the least of their problems. <laughs> I know. I always think about that part, though. When people are trapped in caves, I'm like, where are they going yeah. to the bathroom? Well, you I know, it's going to smell so bad. So bad. Oh, God, I'd vomit. Well, that's like when they found those uh, Thai, the Thai soccer team, like yeah, the British like we, diver. They smelled them before they saw them kind of thing. Yeah. I you'll and it the conditions they were under the smells oh my god it's it had to be horrific so Mm -hmm. the supply of emergency rations 
was only intended to last them three days. So the miners rationed to having a meal once every other day. And this meal was two cookies and a spoonful of canned tuna fish. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Cause it's like three days, like that's fine. But like if you're stuck down there, like you're stuck, stuck down there. Like, I would probably do what they did. I would ma- probably make it, like, even a little bit less than what they did. Like, yeah. just do, like, a spoonful of tuna fish, like, a day or something like that. Yeah. Or not even, like, a day. Like, every other day or every two days. Yeah. Like, it would just suck. So, they drained water from the industrial radiators for drinking water or began oh. collecting the water that was dripping off of the walls because it was so humid that's smart i didn't know that they had like industrial radiator things down there Mm -hmm. is that water like drinkable though i mean technically okay (laughs) it's probably not the best water for you but it's it's better yeah yeah because i was wondering what they did for the water part because like you can survive like what is it like a week without food or something no it's it's like a month it's much longer than that yeah okay but like you can't survive more than like what four days without water right right like that yeah yeah so if they were down there for like 69 days and they had like three days worth of food it's like if you really like stretched that three days of food out like i could see how that could probably probably like stretch you out for like uh 69 days but the water part i couldn't understand yeah So they organized themselves into work shifts and participated in daily prayer sessions in order to distract from the situation. If conditions above in the Atacama were cool and very dry, conditions below the mine were the complete opposite. Uh, With high humidity and 95 degree Fahrenheit temperatures constantly. Ugh. So it was like South Texas in the summer. Oh, my God. Uh, all the time. They're, like, just sweating out everything. <laughs> yeah. You can't Ugh. go inside and get AC, so. Uh, they Did were... anyone die of heat exhaustion? I'm not. I can't. Oh, you gotta okay. let me. Okay. Oh, oh okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. So the miners were in almost complete darkness as well for the entire 17 days as they conserved their lights from their flashlights or headlamps and only used them if completely necessary. So that was the 17 days. After they had made contact with the miners on August 22nd, they began sending down nutrient gel, water, and communication devices that were fed through the small drilled holes to the men. Initially, the holes were too small to get any solid food through, um, but the men needed food desperately after 17 days of starvation left their bodies near collapse. Hmm. Many survival experts, including specialists in mental health, doctors, and even NASA scientists were brought to the site to keep the health of the men up until they could figure out how to extract them out of the ground. They joined the families of the miners at a large camp dubbed Campamento Esperanza or Camp Hope. The nutrition specialists and experts were concerned that giving them a ton of food would kill them after their 17-day starvation diet. Um, They were particularly concerned about the refeeding syndrome, 
in which there are potentially fatal shifts in fluids and electrolytes that may occur in malnourished patients when they're receiving nutrition after being starved pretty much almost to death. I had no idea that was even a thing. Yeah. That's like So like your body gets confused and like kind of yeah. you kind of thing. Yeah, huh. so for example, if you eat too many carbs after you've been starving, um the carbs basically, you know, to break down the carbs directs needed phosphate away from the heart when the human body is in starvation mode and can cause cardiac failure. Hmm. So it's a, you know, differentiation and allocation of minerals and like specific resources that you need. And this was something I think I learned about the first time after learning about like the Holocaust. Yeah. And how they couldn't immediately just give them as much food as they wanted, even though they wanted to give the survivors of like the death camps and the work camps food. Yeah. They had to to, slowly integrate it back into their diet. Exactly. Yeah. Which is a really sad and horrible and creepy thing to have to do. And I feel like it'd be hard as a doctor to, to do that. Um, So instead they sent down nutrient gel heavy with glucose and needed minerals before solid food was given within days the holes were widened and solid food was passed down through the channel along with first aid supplies guides to exercise routines and flashlights and other lighting devices with batteries all able to fit in small canisters to fit down these holes to get all the way down to them oh wow um So while they were given solid food, they were placed on a diet in order to maintain a certain circumference so that they could be rescued through a narrow shaft. Um, This rescue plan was now being put into action. And the issue is this is half a mile in the ground and they have to dig a hole big enough to get them out, which is not an easy task. No. And it has to be that wide, a half a mile all the way down too. Yep. And it has to be stable enough not to collapse. Oh, God. There's a lot of engineering that went into this. And I learned more than I wanted to about drills to tell the story. Oh, God. Good for you. <laughs> you did your research. Look, the men came to me in my sleep paralysis. I need to do it justice. Yeah. So plans were now hatched in order to rescue the men. Um, as extracting them in an area with no link to the surface would be difficult and care would have to be taken to prevent further cave-ins. The plan was to bore or drill a hole down to the tunnels and the refuge in which they were trapped and then further widen that hole to just 27 inches in order to pull them into the surface. The first hole would prevent major collapses in their escape shaft before they could widen it further. So they had to drill one hole first and then go back through and widen it all the way okay. down. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so the first plan or the original plan called plan A was dug by Strata 9500 uh, or sorry 950 um, and began on August 30th with a raised bore owned by the Chilean mining company contracted with the rescue. The Strata 950 required 20 liters of water per second to cool the cutting bit, 
but they were in the middle of the Atacama Desert, which is the driest place on Earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the nearest water source was a borehole an hour's drive away from the mine. So what they did is they shipped it in via an endless supply of water tankers running back and forth between the two sites almost continuously. Oh, wow. At the rate of the drilling, however, it would take three months to get the miners out. Oh, three months? Yes. 90 plus days? Yes. Ugh. Right. And although the miners are trying to keep up hope, they are suffering day by day in these hellish conditions. Because the tunnels that the men are trapped in are so deep, it's 95 degrees because it's closer to the Earth's core. Oh. Yeah. I didn't even think about all that. I didn't either. Didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. I always thought caves were cool. on the And, and all the ones I've ever been in have been cool. Yeah. But huh. maybe they haven't been that deep, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, have you been deep enough to where it's like... You're feeling the the heat from the center of the earth. Right, right. <laughs> um, the rock walls of the mine are also dripping with moisture, and the humidity in the air is 95%. That sounds like Florida. Right. Yeah. But all the time. Yeah. All the time. All the time. Side note, when we were in Iowa, the second like we landed, like all of the moisture in my skin just came oh, out I of know. me. My skin was so dry, it, like, hurt and cracked on my hands. <laughs> yeah, like... I mean, we went to West Texas and Virginia. And Virginia, West Texas is dry, but Virginia's not. Yeah. Like, it's pretty high humidity, and I was just, like, shriveled the whole time yeah. over there. It's awful. So, in addition to that, the darkness also poses a threat because they have a lack of exposure to UV, A, and B light. Which is important. Oh, yeah. Not only for, like, you know, vitamin D and all that stuff, but also because mm-hmm. UVA and B light kills funguses and viruses. Oh, and so bacteria. they're getting sick down there, too. Right. So this means they are, are more at risk for bacterial and fungal infections. And the heat and humidity is absolutely not helping that because we all know. A lot of virus and fungus grow well in hot, damp conditions or like bacteria and fungus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. uh, Many miners suffered from fungal infections, eye infections and respiratory problems. But thankfully, there were no major injuries from the initial collapse. Since the men were already weak, a simple infection could potentially be fatal. The miners, though, started to make requests for cigarettes and alcohol like any fucking person would. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I need some booze. Yes. Get me through this. But unfortunately, the medics refuse simply sending down nicotine patches for those who do smoke so um, that they're not like suffering from withdrawal. It was not a popular move yeah. by the medics. However, the miners have little choice but to do without. To bring up morale, they find a way to let the miners watch a football match between Chile and Ukraine using a projector um, and a half a mile of fiber optic cable to let them watch oh, wow. the game on the side of the, the wall of the mine. That's crazy. Yeah. Modern technology, they, man. <laughs> they had some entertainment down there. Yeah. So a man 
Brandon Fisher, who was a Pennsylvanian drilling expert, saw, like me, the hellish images of the trapped miners. And it drove him to do something because he actually could, unlike me, who was like, I just graduated high school. (laughs) I live in Virginia. I don't know what to do. Yeah. (laughs) You were there in uh, spirit, though. Right? So, especially he wanted to do something since they may be taking as long as Christmas to get these guys out. And it's still, like, August or early September. So, his plan, dubbed Plan D, or, sorry, Plan B, which... Um, used a SRAM T-130, began on September 5th using the second raised bore that they had brought in from Pennsylvania. The drill would smash the rock instead of boring into it and was twice as fast as a Strata 950. However, they couldn't, like, steer the drill, so Brandon decided to sacrifice one of the bore holes to guide the hammer, like, basically a pilot hole, um, if this plan works, the miners could be out in six weeks instead of three months. <laughs> oh, God. But within four days, the drill breaks. The hammerhead of the drill has disintegrated because it's hit an iron roof bolt near a tunnel no one knew existed. Uh, plan B is stopped in its tracks with the broken drill bit blocking the hole. Oh, my so. God. It's like just bad luck on top of bad luck. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's an engineering feat, what they did. You want to come up? Come on. You come say hi. Come say hi. Come say hi. Yes, it. Oh, thank you. Hi, Marzi. What do you have to say to the people? <laughs> like. <laughs> so things get worse. On day 36 of this ordeal, plan A is also shut down as well because of a leaky hydraulic hose. So the miners know something is up with both plan A and B because they've been able to hear drilling this entire time and it suddenly Mm -hmm. stops. Yeah. Uh, So now they must fall to plan C, which would involve using an oil drill while plan A and B were in maintenance. This Canadian-owned oil drill is so big, it needs to be constructed on a flat piece of land the size of a football field. And, unfortunately, it takes nine days to construct, so they have to wait for that. Um, Within a few days, the Plan A drill, though, is back online. Plan Plan B's drill bit is still blocking the hole, so they must find a way to remove it or start drilling a new hole somewhere else. Hmm. They finally managed to remove the bit using a spider, which is basically just a hollow tube with teeth at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they get it all the way down to the bottom, they press down on it with immense pressure. And then the teeth like close around the broken pieces using pressure. Okay. And it's brought back up to the surface. Gotcha. Um, so this was successful. And um, plan B begins drilling again on September 14th. Hope so this that is sense. almost, this is like a month and, a, and some change after the initial collapse. Yes. Gotcha. So they're just down there twiddling their thumbs, sweating. Yeah. Getting infections. They could have at least asked for like a board game or something. 
I'm sure they sent down other things. Or like I'm not a deck sure. of cards. Yeah. What Some all dominoes. Not... Yeah. I don't think they're just like fucking figure it out. <laughs> do, do, do. <laughs> so the miners have been trapped underground for 40 days at this point, which is 15 days longer than anyone in recorded history. So is this like the longest amount of time in the history of the world that somebody's been trapped then? Like yes. to the state probably? Yes. As far as huh. I know. Yeah. Interesting. Psychologists state that faith is a big motivator for these men's will to survive, um, including their faith in God, faith in their comrades, faith in their family, and faith in the experts working towards rescue. And this is really what they're holding on to Mm -hmm. at this point. Um, But you can tell they look, although they're in really bad conditions they look much better than they did initially when they first found them and you can tell that from that picture on slide two to that picture on slide three just like the physical and just emotional difference they even look yeah like like, none of them look emaciated i will say that yes so they did keep them as healthy as they could um so Finally, on September 17th, the Plan B drill finally managed to complete a tunnel connecting to the refuge. So they Hmm. finally got the first hole drilled. Um, Now, however, the shaft has to be widened from 12 inches to 28 or sorry, 27 inches in order to get the men out. So they drilled that first hole to to basically as a guide hole to find them and then they mm-hmm. have to widen it and and this has to go a little bit slower so that it doesn't like collapse or anything like yeah. that so brandon's workshop builds a specialized drill with four hammers that can pulverize rock at three feet per hour um, and they could reach the men in 26 days if there are no setbacks which is another month so (laughs) so yeah um by this point however the plan c oil drill has finally been set up and it can get dig the rescue shaft in only 20 days so a little bit better at this point all three drills are up and running trying to make a rescue shaft for the trapped miners on september 22nd day 48 the drill bit on plan breaks again but this time it falls into the tunnel um where the trapped miners are um so the miners are the ones who actually call up to them and let them know like hey Hey. (laughs) (laughs) you guys lost something yeah around day 58 on october 1st plan c isn't living up to its expectations as the rock is so hard that the drill hasn't even gone halfway down. Oh, no. They had to shut down plan A as well. And the drill, that drill hadn't even finished its pilot hole. So plan B is up and running again and is the only drill working at this point. Plan B continues drilling into the earth. And the trap miners split into three groups to remove the debris caused by the drilling and to reinforce the walls of the mine around it. Um, On day 65, on October 8th, 
Plan B is only 10 feet away from finishing the escape shaft. But Wind? the rock. Yes. Oh, okay. I was like, something's going to happen here. Uh, but the rock <clears throat> is unstable, close to the tunnel roof, and the risk of collapse is real and scary. So plan B slows down to like half speed to significantly mitigate for cave-ins, but finally breaks through at 8 a.m. in the morning. Oh, God. So we have a rescue shaft. Yeah, I know. It's great. So, and you can kind of follow along with these three. I'm not entirely sure which one is which, but the one that reaches all the way down, I believe, is our our plan B drill. Okay. Um, And then the super tall one is the oil rig. And then the other one, I think, is plan A. So can kind of give you an idea a little bit of what was going on. So now the time for rescue was here. Surface rescuers began lining the top 295 feet of the shaft with metal tubing in preparation for the ascent. The rescuers had designed a metal capsule uh, to fit down the shaft. It was connected to a line that would pull them up the shaft to the surface. The capsule was dubbed the Phoenix and was painted in the colors of the Chilean flag. On October 12th, late at night, a rescue worker was lowered into the hell hole in the capsule to begin the rescue efforts, going all the way down half a mile to the earth to help the miners get in the capsule and begin rescue. And you can see pictures of the capsule on slide five. It's not very big. That Yeah, <clears throat> it's literally just enough for one person. Yeah, so... The miners would spend 20 minutes alone in the capsule, unable to move in complete darkness as they are drugged up the half mile of rock to the surface. Uh, my anxiety levels would just be escalating right. in those 20 minutes. It'd be yeah. so dark. You yeah. wouldn't know if you were going to make it or not. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. <clears throat> they wore harnesses in the capsule in case they passed out. And there was an oxygen supply in case the oxygen runs low in the shaft. Oh, my Um, God. If the capsule got stuck in the shaft, there was a mechanism to allow the miner to be basically to get out of the capsule, but winched back down into the mine. Oh, no. Yeah. I wouldn't want that either. Right. Like, when I read that, I was like, oh, my God, (laughs) could you imagine Like, you're getting rescued, but then you go back down. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that's what they're dealing with. The plan was to lead with a few of the strongest men in case they encountered any problems, followed by the ill and the weaker men. Just after midnight on day 69, the first miner, Florencio Alvarez, uh, had been drawn to the surface and successfully rescued. By the evening of October 13th, the last man and shift supervisor, Louise Urzua, who had kept the men organized and focused while underground, had been rescued. So, 69 days. 69 days and 660 minutes of rescue time, which is 11 hours. Yeah. So, yeah, it took them a while to actually bring everybody up to the surface, but... yeah. Because I was, I did the math because I was curious if like, because you said just after midnight, the first mm-hmm. guy was rescued. So I was like mm-hmm. curious if they just kept going with the rescue. Yeah. Until everybody was out or if they like took a break and came back in the morning or something. 
there'd be no way yeah i've i feel like once you get going you're like we have to keep going now right you can't just stop because they've already been there for yeah like two and a half months basically right yeah yeah it's a yeah long time yeah that's a long time so yeah. you can deal with not sleeping for <laughs> yeah, 24 for hours like 11 hours yeah <laughs> Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Immediately after the rescue, like that night, Chilean President Sebastian Piñera greeted them as they reached the surface. And once all the men were rescued, he led the crowd at Camp Hope in singing the Chilean national anthem. And this has been criticized as a choreographed act and very much considered political theater, the aim of like nationalism. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't know. I feel like that's an okay time to sing the national anthem. Yeah. Like, we just rescued 33 people. Yeah. After 69 days. Yeah, you think an American wouldn't do that shit? I know. (laughs) So, the San Esteban Primera Mining Company did not actually have the funds or resources to engineer the rescue themselves, So most of the cost was shouldered by the Chilean government and other mining companies. The rescue in total costs uh, $20 million, and that's in U.S. dollars, which is less than you would think for that. But it was in 2010 dollars, so who knows. Um, The men following their rescue were guaranteed six months of health care and flown all over the world for media appearances and sightseeing tours with some appearing as motivational speakers and events after the initial flood of interest. However, the toll that this took on the miners and their families became apparent. Many had PTSD from the experience had issues coping with the effects of trauma. Many family members feared that the miners would be forever changed by the experience as many of the men turned to alcohol abuse and drug abuse to deal with the trauma because well i mean healthcare, mental health care isn't the same yeah well it's certainly not what it's like today Um, i didn't even think about that as like a fallout right like some of them would dream that they were still trapped down there like all the time oh god they yeah. wake up in a panic kind of thing right puts my sleep paralysis to shame yeah i was just about to say i don't think you have the bigger issue <laughs> yeah um in march of 2011 a congressional commission placed the blame of the accident on the owners of the mine and the national geology and mining service all but two miners filed a collective lawsuit against the government on July of 2011, asking for more than half a million dollars each. The owners of the mine also agreed to reimburse the government for roughly 25% of the rescue costs in March of 2013. While the Congressional Commission placed the mine and National Geology and Mining Service responsible, prosecute prosecutors ruled in august 2013 that neither bore any criminal responsibility for the accident which reduced the miners legal recourse to simply civil suits and lessened the money they received from the company which Mm. is shitty but yeah 
While in the refuge, the 33 men recognized that their story was the most precious possession that they had and agreed to share the proceeds of any book or movie made about them. Recently, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Hector Tobar used the accounts of all 33 miners to write a book about their experience called Deep Down Dark. There is also a movie called The 33 starring Antonio Banderas that came out in 2015. <laughs> <laughs> so, nice. Um, but they're still absolutely dealing from like with the fallout from all of this. Yeah, it um, sounds like it. And sad. if you want me to butcher a bunch of names, I'll read out all of their names. <laughs> I mean, I think it's like, you know, their names are important to be like. Their names are stuff. important. So maybe I should. Yeah. I'll do it. I'll just do it. Don't laugh at me too much. I'm going to nope. do my best. Okay. What was yours? So, Alex Vega Salazar, who was the son of the guy who kind of led the first rescue effort. Ariel Tincona, Carlos Andres Bueno Alfaro, Carlos Memami Memani Solis, Carlos Barrios Contreras, Claudio Acuna Cortes, Claudio David, Yanas Lagos, Daniel Esteban Herrera Campos, Darius Antonio Segova Rojas, Edison Fernando Pena Via Royal, Esteban Alfonso Rojas Carrizo, Florenzo Antonias Avalos Silva, Franklin Lobos Ramirez, Jorge Hernan. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) I was doing good. Hold on, I can do this. Jorge Hernan Galle Guillos or Orellana. Jose Enriquez Gonzalez. Jose Ojeda Vidal. Juan Carlos Aguilar Gallete. Juan Yanes Palma. Jimmy. Jimmy Sanchez Lagues. Luis Alberto <laughs> Ursua Ibarin, and he that guy was the uh, like chief head guy of the team when the mine collapsed. I can do this. Mario Nicolas Gomez Heredia, Mario Sepulveda Espinance, Omar Alejandro Regada Rojas. Osman Isdero Araya, Pablo Amaderos Roja Villacorta, Pedro Cortes Contreras, Raul Enriquez Bustos Ibanez, Renan Alselmo Alvo Silva, Richard Reynald Villarroyal Godoy, Samuel Dionosa Avalos Acuna, Victor Antonio Segova Rojas, Victor Zamora Bueno, Yoni Barrios Rojas. And oh my God. Because here's the thing Latin American and Hispanic people have so many names. <laughs> yes. That it's not just the first name and the last name. You got to have all the last names. All of them, yeah. Which is kind of cool because it's like, name hyphenation before name hyphenation was a thing yeah but at the same time if i had never taken a spanish class this would have been impossible oh i'm sure so 
and it was already I already know I fucked up a bunch of those pronunciations but I did my best you tried (laughs) I thought you did pretty good thank you so that's the 33 good one and that's the one that got you into all these morbid stories yeah kind of it's that one and Shackleton are the two absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. um yeah Shackleton kind of kicked off my obsession with polar exploration at a very early age and this kind of kicked off my obsession with caves and claustrophobia and why do I feel this way about this yeah that's fair yeah so all right well I don't think we like really need any happy thoughts or happy things but happy things happy things uh golly I just mm, I don't know I'm looking forward to the weekend I'm already tired trying to get back into the swing of things I know (laughs) from the holiday and it's only Tuesday I know it's only Tuesday so I don't really have a happy thing on the top of my mind but yeah I guess just trying to get back into the swing of things I really need to try to get into a workout routine I worked out like at all last year just because I felt like shit all the time Mm -hmm. I got new I got new running shoes for Christmas I'm gonna try to get back into running we'll see what happens that's I mean a good goal to have I'm trying to I feel the same way I don't really have a happy thing right now other than like we got through all of our fucking travel (laughs) yeah oh my god oh you know speaking of travel i laid out our traveling for 2023 eight fucking plane flights i have to purchase oh my god yeah so you're doing what i did this year pretty much four weddings i'm in two of them yeah and you know what if you need to tell somebody no tell people no because yeah but anyway (laughs) yeah so that's fun um so i'm done with that but i've got all these work to catch up on basically i'm behind and so i just feel like i i'm not gonna get a real break until two weeks from now because i'm putting my nose to the grindstone as it were yeah. um, but i guess my goal this year i i wouldn't call it a resolution because i hate the whole oh, i didn't even make a resolution yeah i didn't make one <laughs> but i'm hoping to kind of refocus on my hobbies this included because I feel like I haven't really gotten time to enjoy them this year at all and I want to start making art for me not necessarily for like what I think will sell well yeah so that's kind of my goal-ish for this year is to just like get back into creating things for the sole purpose of my own enjoyment if that makes cool. sense. Yeah, no, yeah. it does. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's a good goal to have. It is. Also, I need to work out. I haven't worked out in the last month. It's not. Yeah. My last like workout was like going hiking in Big Bend. And then since then, I've just been like, I don't have time for anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, I guess, kind of my happy thing or my refocus. Speaking yeah, of refocusing. Um, we're going to be uh, taking a break, like I have said, I think on the last two episodes, I've mentioned mm-hmm. this for about a month. We'll be back in February, um, I believe around uh, Valentine's Day, actually, is when the, f- the next episode will be dropped. But we need to kind yep. of refocus a little bit. Um, 
deal with social media and I need to stock up on some more written and finished stories <laughs> to mm-hmm. talk about because I have not had time to write really for the last two months. Um, yeah. So we'll see y'all back in February. But in the meantime, if you want to go back and re-listen to some of our other stuff, uh, where can our listeners find us? If you'd like to find us on the social media, you can find us at Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast on Instagram. We're also on uh, the interwebs at Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast.com. You can listen to us there. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple, Google, or any streaming platform. So, yeah. That's that. And our next episode will literally be the day before Valentine's Day. That's when that Aww. one drops. So. Is it a is it a um a scorned lover? Oh, hmm. Maybe I should <laughs> find one that's a- <gasps> uh, giving you some ideas now. Oh my god! Yeah, I can't believe I didn't even think of that. No, I have a <laughs> fucking great one for that. I'm so oh, excited good. now. Okay. Oh my gosh, it's gonna be so fun. We're gonna come back <laughs> on a fun one. Let me good. let me write that down before I forget. Write that down. Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it's written. Good deal. We'll adjust it. Okay. Um, so in addition with that, if you'd like to support our podcast, but don't have any money because we live in a capitalist hellscape, you can give us a five-star review on any of the listening platforms um, to tell the algorithm algorithm to make people fucking listen to us. Yes. <laughs> and if you have any survival stories, personal survival stories in the meantime, um, if you personally survive 69 days of hell um, trapped inside a mine, we'd like to hear about it. And I'm sorry if I butchered your name. I apologize deeply because <laughs> they're all still alive. <laughs> yeah. It was only, what, 12 and a half years ago. Right. Um, so, but... If that hasn't happened to you, but you did have a scary experience out in nature, maybe you went in a cave and it made you feel a little claustrophobic or you saw something that freaked you out or hell, if you have a sleep paralysis story, yeah, I want to hear about it. <laughs> yes, me too. So please send those. Um, you can either send it to our email or you can go on our website. There is a submission page for stories. Um, So yeah, so we'll see you back on the 13th of February with a big, fun episode, a big, salacious, drama-filled episode. I'm so excited. Um, But until then, uh, we'll see you later. And... Oh, yeah. Until (laughs) next time. (laughs) I thought you froze again. No. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, uh... Until next time, stay safe, but most of all, stay curious, explorers. See you later. Goodbye. Time for bed.